other one, did you, that, uh, what was, uh, uh, you, did you see uh, the writer? I did not. You saw that one. Oh, okay. Well, this one, this one is, is a little unusual for a documentary in that it is semi-fictional. And so the, you know, the, this is Chloe Zhao, uh, who, uh, the character's name, uh, is, uh, Brady Blackburn, but she changes the name. It's actually the Jandro family, but she changes their name and they're the only ones. Everybody else in the film are just who they are, but the Jandro families. And so there's parts of the film that are fictional, but we don't know which parts. Okay. Uh, but the story, I mean, the story and the basic plot and the basic situation is all true. That he is a horse trainer. Mm-hmm. He rides uh, Bronx and uh, bulls. And the film opens. He's been, his head has been lacerated. He has a concussion. And one whole side of his head is stitched up. Mm. And he's taken a he has a pocket knife and he's pulling out the staples uh, in uh, you know the, the stitches and the bandages on his head and uh, this is now again this is I think a dramatization of what actually did happen to him he did suffer a head injury he lost portions of his memory um and, and clearly, you know, bull riding and riding uh, broncs is, is a, a very dangerous profession. And once he's he has this concussion, and that's sort of, I think this is a bit of the fictional element, uh, that he's posed with the dilemma of whether he, want, of whether he can continue mm. his lifestyle. It's sort of the cowboy version, you know, of the the uh, snowboarders right. uh, that that uh, you know so many snowboarders receive uh, concussion, traumatic but, brain injury. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it? Crash Reel mm-hmm. was the snowboarder story, right. where the uh, young man receives a concussion. All he wants to do is snowboard. And uh, uh, but he he never is he never recovers. Yeah, and, and I think that it's it's much more serious than just a concussion. I think there's actual brain damage uh, yeah. from from the from the impact. And I the, I wanted to ask, but in since there were several hundred people there, I did not you know about which parts of this film were true or not. But the concussion part, the loss of the memory. But he said there was really, I don't think he, somebody asked him, why don't you wear a helmet? Which I'm not familiar with bull riding, but he said, well, actually we do wear, you know, that, that uh, in the future. So it was almost like he was thinking that once he recovered enough. But he, uh, part of the fascinating scenes in the film uh, is his training horses. So that you literally see him go, through the whole process of breaking a horse, and it's a uh, he, you know, he's clearly a kind of genius at 
at what he does. And then in the part of the story, and again, this is true, his, uh, the, his uh, sister, they're on the Pine Ridge, uh, uh, near the Pine Ridge Reservation, and so he's bra- actually breaking horses for uh, some of the neighbors who are Native Americans. Um, and then his sister is, uh, has some sort of developmental uh, problems or uh, is challenged and uh, so that's but it's kind of amazing that you know again this is his actual sister uh, whose name is is Lily and then the other scene that occurs there's a lot of scenes with uh, Brady's best friend who has been so severely injured that he's in a wheelchair, confined to a wheelchair, and unable to speak. Mm. Uh, you know, or he can say just a word or two. And, uh, and so they do a lot of interaction between him and his friend. Now, what you're left to think is that his friend, I think, has been injured in bull riding. But, and he was a bull rider, and they show that in the film, but I think that this was, again, a, it wasn't an overt fictionalization, but I think he was actually in a car accident and, and was injured from the accident. Does the um, friendship uh, have an impact on, on uh, the rider and, and give him pause to the kind of injury that he could still sustain? I think that's... The point of the film is that he's struggling, you know, he goes and he starts to work in a grocery store as a clerk rather than, you know, pursue, you know, working with horses. Um, and there, it, you're, the, the point is that you see the injured friend, severely injured friend, you realize that he himself is injured. And so kind of the point of the story is, well, will he, you know, go back to being a cowboy. Yeah. Now again, the actor or the Brady was there. Uh, Brady Jandro was there. Uh-huh. And he came out after. And he said, well, you know, really there was never a question. that This was, I'm a cowboy and this is what I do. And he said... You know, in the film, there's it's portrayed like maybe he's a little bit afraid, but he said, no, nah, I really... He said, the thing that I feared most was that I would not be able to ride again. His identity is, I'm a cowboy. I'm a cowboy. Now, kind of the, the interesting part of this, and I, you know, you don't... And I assume this is just true to life of, uh, you know, in the South, South Dakota, but the religion... Their religiosity runs throughout the film, but it's a kind of odd religiosity or Christianity. So the boys, they're out drinking beer, you know, the usual thing, jumping over the fire. And then they get to thinking about their good buddy, you know, who's been injured, and they all say, well, let's pray. And it's done in such a way that you think, well, that's probably true to life. Uh, that that there, 
it's not an awkward thing, you know. And and most of the people in the film are just themselves. And so there's a lot of uh, j discussion, you know, about or a lot of use of Jesus' name, and and you know, of at one point he has to shoot his horse. Which again, I don't. I assume this. I don't know if this is true or not true, but he prays, you know, and the, so there. The, it, it's a uh, maybe. It's a true view of American cowboy Christianity. I would agree with that. <laughs> that it's it's sort of the the uh, it, it is a, a made very much part of their life. But I think it's it's a growing up in the Southwest. I mean, I think that the um, Christianity is a very liberal uh, Christianity, but uh, it's there. And I think uh, again, our society would look at that and say, "Look at those good old cowboys, and they pray." <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe it's like the football players. You know they pray before the big games. Right. So foot and then the football and the the Christianity get all fused together, right. and all with patriotism. So yeah, maybe that was there. But he he came out. He's very likable. Uh, you know, in the film, he's very very likable character. And when he came out, he uh, introduced uh, one of the in the film the girl who is you know. Uh, just a friend. Well, it turns out actually this is his wife, and she comes out on stage and they have a child together. Because women were shouting from the audience, "Are you married?" You know? <laughs> so. yeah, even with a brain injury, you're a cowboy. So <laughs> now you saw one here that I didn't see, and that was three strangers, three identical I strangers. This is a, a very moving picture. Um, it really will um, you know, give you a, a feel-good feeling uh, because it is one of those uh, human interest stories. And I can't imagine lots of people don't already know uh, about uh, the story or parts of the story because it was, it, it was all over the news for a long time in the, in the 80s. Um, but this is a story about three young men, Robert Shafrim, Edward Galland, and David Kelman. And uh, it begins by uh, one of David uh, showing up for college, his first day on campus for college. And he's greeted by everybody on campus with uh, great welcome and, and uh, saying, I'm, I'm glad to see you. And a girl coming up and giving him a big hug and a kiss, and, and he thinks, great, this is the first day of college, I can't wait. Uh, but he gets to the dorm room, and people start coming up to him and calling him by a different name. Uh, and, and then it turns out uh, one, of the, one of the classmates comes in, and immediately, because he was such good friends with his twin brother, um, he knew that it wasn't his friend. But he knew this guy looked exactly like him. So I'm confused here. You're saying they have film 
of this event, or is this some sort of dramatization? This is a dramatization, but this is what happened. I see. Uh, that the way the story unfolds is, and, and you start getting to the point where it is real film of that time, but, you know, the dramatization is how the first young man discovers that he's got possibly a twin, uh, and then they drive all night uh, to get to uh, the other brother's house. So he, just by accident, went to the same college. By accident. And then, is do they show them discovering each other? No, because again, this is a very private moment. However, they get together, they they are exactly the same. They really are identical twins. All the peculiarities about their features and their mannerisms are all there. Uh, the one mother is just overwhelmed with uh, what's taking place. And, of course, now the news picks it up and you start seeing a part of the documentary is is, is recording uh, all of these things that are picked up by the news, the, the newspaper articles, and they start becoming uh, on, on TV shows, and all of a sudden, uh, a young man uh, looks in the paper and sees the story about these two young men being twins and finding each other, and then looks at the picture and sees that these two boys look just like he does. So they're triplets. So there's three of them. And so, how? what happened that they were all divided up? Well, that's part of the end of the story, oh. but what you really have to uh, get a sense for is that if twins was a big human interest story, triplets separated at birth, finding each other at the age of 18, and coming together was a phenomenal story across the nation. And they, they were on every talk show and, and interviewed by every paper, and everybody wanted them on. So you remember this? I don't remember See, this. See, I wasn't here. I was in Japan, so right. I may have missed the eight. Um, but they were they were widely accepted. Uh, they they got contracts for their stories. Uh, they were making money. They opened a restaurant. They're they're living large in New York City, going to Club Fifty One, and so it's just a total acceptance of this phenomenon that's taken place. And and isn't it wonderful? that even though we were separated at birth, that we, we found, found each other. Yeah. Well, um, that sounds like a very happy film. And, and if that's where it ended, you would walk out with a feel-good feeling. I assume there's going to be a right turn here. <laughs> what, what, they, what they start uh, uh, discovering is that the questions that they have about the origin of the separation, the agency, where they came from. There's, there's, there's closed doors every time questions are asked. And uh, basically the agency acknowledge, uh, acknowledges where they, they, that they came from there, uh, but don't give very much more information. Um, but what does happen is that as the, as the, three, young, uh, as the three men are, are living life, they're meeting uh, women and getting married, starting families, there seems to be something peculiar about each of the men. 
and that is that they they have severe psychological experiences. And this hadn't been brought out. This had not had always been there for each of them, for all of the families, but it was never part of their collective story. Perhaps they all thought it was unique to them. Perhaps they just didn't want to talk about it because of social taboo. But the fact is, is that all three boys have spent time in their youth in a psych uh, ward um, getting treatment. All three have experienced extreme uh, um, separation anxiety as, as infants. Um, and all three, interestingly enough, have been raised in a family with an older female sibling. So the the all three none of the boys live with their natural family. That is correct. They're all adopted out. Correct. Are they are the families that they're adopted out to similar? They are not. As it turns out again as the story goes on and we start digging deeper, we discover that one family is very affluent, a doctor and a lawyer uh who who have lived that type of life. Um, the second family is a very middle class. Uh, he's a teacher uh, and has lived his life in that middle class. Uh, and then the third uh, boy is placed in a, uh, not a poverty, but certainly, you know, a less uh, privileged class uh, family. This sounds like a purposeful <laughs> sort of. Uh, so, so questions continue to be asked, and what we discover is that uh, the the three families, the three uh, uh, adoptive families, get together, and they go to the uh, uh, orphanage uh, agency, and they have a meeting, and they express their um, their their you know anger that. Um, the information about the twins were not shared. Fine, you know, they were totally accepting the fact that they had been separated, but why wasn't each family notified that there was a twin? That, that so the families, only, nobody knew. Nobody knew. Nobody knew. In fact, as, again, you find out that during the first 10 or 15 years of each of the boys' lives, every month a doctor comes out and visits the family and films the child going through a number of questions, some you know physical uh, agility tests, uh, but puzzles and word association, those typical ink blot uh, uh, questions, what do you think this looks like, that kind of stuff. Um, and so, obviously, this is not a normal experience. Uh, these three boys have been tracked through their adolescence, and, and, and a study has been done. So, again, this is not something that can be hidden or kept away. This is a common experience between the three families. Having come together, they now share this information and realize there is something truly wrong here. They all are being 
studied and they begin to compare notes. Correct. And I guess they're suspicious. They're running an experiment on us. Well, the 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 folks that came did the and did the um, the recording and the and the tracking um, were not related to the orphanage. It was a it, it was explained to them as being a bonus or or you know the there is this state agency that was wanting to track uh, um, um, uh, children. They weren't told that they were they were you know related, um, but. It was, and again, as it was explained, this same doctor who went and visited one boy, because they were all placed in homes that were near each other. Mm. And that's why they happened, the two boys ended up happening going to the same college. So the same doctor who is going and visiting David is the next day going and visiting the other twin, and the next day going and visiting the third for all these years that they're doing this study. This sounds like the Twilight Zone. Well, as it as it turns out, they truly uh, do pressure uh, the the uh, authorities to, to get some information, but it's very limited information. They find out the the folks that were doing the study, and they discover that the the doctor who was the psychologist or psychiatrist that was truly in, in uh, charge of the whole thing has passed away. The only person that they really have access to is his assistant who is so there the study is continuing they don't know what's happened to this study Mm. because nobody has access the assistant doesn't know where the records are or what happened to it she was merely an administrative assistant but what she knew was that there were more families this was not the only family. So they go back to the agency and they ask that question. How many multiple sibling twins, uh, 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 identicals, have you separated? And the agency says, well, we're not able to disclose that information for the privacy of those people. We can't tell you. Oh, there's whole cities I bet of these people. They're <laughs> going to find each other. And the whole idea is that the agency who did put the study together, the psychiatrist that that um, 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 came and, and approached the agency um, to do the study, it turns out that um, this agency has ties to the government. Of course. (laughs) That they have uh, provided other kinds of research studies uh, on behalf of the United States government. Um, And uh, the orphanage, the the agency, um, was picked out. It's specifically an agency for Jewish families, and they uh, made sure that, that they found mothers who had a history of mental problems who then gave birth to multiple identicals and they separated those children and did this study. I mean, this is like boys of Brazil, kind of. And so, 
were the the did they ever find out how many of these children there are? There are records recording all of this study, all of the interviews and everything, but all of the records are sealed until the year 2066. By the United States government. Whoever it is that can seal those kinds of records, and I'm going to assume only the United States government can do that. So the government is running these experiments on Jewish children. I mean, this sounds Nazi-like. Um, what you're, the, the, unfortunately, the dark ending conclusion of the story um, is that the adult men and their families now realize that they have a genetic disposition to mental illness. Um, it, it, it reveals itself in the individual lives that they have and the way they deal with their fame, their relationships and life in general, um, and one of the brother kills himself. Did, wow. And so did they identify the, what that uh, genetic disposition was? I mean, what was it? Was it schizophrenia, bipolar, or they, or they don't? They don't know. Do they, do, do they show in the film the boys having these difficulties? All three boys are, are clinically diagnosed as bipolar, but it, it could be just the onset of something else. Um, maybe it, it, it stays as bipolar, um, but you know, there's no telling uh, what the biological history, uh, the genetic history was behind that. I mean, this just sounds chillingly terrible. And as the movie concludes, uh, the one brother says, looks straight into the camera and says, so you never know, you might be walking down the street one day and look into the face of a stranger and see yourself. Okay. Did the boys know they were adopted? They all three knew that they were adopted. Okay. Oh, my. I mean, there's, uh, surely this isn't legal. I think that's the reason the records are sealed until 2066, so that any t by that time anybody who's a, uh, 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 who could file a suit would be deceased by then. Now, isn't that convenient? <laughs> but anyway, you recommend Three Identical Strangers. Uh, this is directed by Tim Wardle. Uh, and uh, we're... Who, who did the director come? Um, no, the director did not come. There was, there was no, what we were really hoping for was, was the, the two, two brothers. Yeah. Um, but there were a couple of other people. I can't remember exactly their role uh, that okay. came out and spoke. Wow. Uh, we clearly had different experiences. Again, I would recommend all of these movies, but you know specifically the ones that I would uh, that I've seen because of how we watch movies and we relate to the practical application to our lives. How would you feel if you all of a sudden found out that you had an identical twin out there? Besides the elation of discovering it, I mean 
would you have questions about why this happened and how serious would those questions be? And, and I guess that's what the film is exploring. Right. Did the boys have did the, the have similar habits that they you know that's I vaguely remember you know that they've found some identical twins and then triplets more recently and they discovered oh they smoked the same cigarettes used the same cologne. You're talking about these boys because that's they, these boys. That's these boys because they were exactly the same. They would move in the same way. If they sat in the chair, they all sat in the same way. They they were they fed off of each other. So I must not have missed the eighties as much as I because I, I remember that, and it was just bizarre. They all smoked the same brand of cigarettes. They all had the same taste of food. They all preferred the same kind of uh, females. They were all gregarious and flirtatious. So it is uh, the idea of nature predominates over nurture. Well, you know, that's certainly what um, a lot of the commentary, uh, um, you know, highlights. I, I think the, the comments that I've heard is that it, it brings the debate up. However, I don't. I don't think that it really brings the debate up. I think it clearly answers, uh, at least in this case, uh, that that question. These boys were controlled by their nature. That it was uh, that their own capacity for choice, free will, was delimited by their uh, mental predisposition toward mental illness and uh, even the choices that they made in daily life were in some way a predisposition, a genetic predisposition. And more to the point that no matter what environment they were put in, it did not influence the outcome of those choices. And was that the study? Had they purposely been put or we don't know? I think you're left to, to assume that. So we've got rich, middle class, poor. Were they ethnically, the families, uh, they, Jewish? They were all white, but again, and, and they were not Jewish, um, but again, they were all, they all were put into families that had only two siblings, and the older sibling was a female. So that, for some reason, uh, that female component was important to the focus of the study. That was a control factor. They didn't.